This is our first winter of approaching self-sufficiency where vegetables are concerned. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of December 29, 2011, closing in on New Year's Day. So I guess the first thing we can say is Happy New Year. That's right. 2011 has been a very good year for us, and we hope it has been for you as well. And uh, in case you're wondering, yes, we do have some New Year's resolutions. We're planning a um, our first podcast of 2012 to delve into how we did in 2011 and what we think we'll do differently in 2012. Right. But we're not going to talk about that today. That's right. We've um, got to close out the old year before we move on. And what we're talking about today is eating what we own. And we have um, enjoyed doing that so far this this fall uh, and now this winter. That's right. We, As you know, one of our principles is we're approaching subsistence but we'll never reach it. And we are not anywhere near reaching subsistence, but it's gratifying to see that we're making true progress. That's right. And and every year is better. We were just reflecting on whether or not last year we sustained ourselves on pretty much our homegrown vegetables and realized that, yeah, we had a lot of pumpkins, which unfortunately we didn't have this year, but we also had more gaps in other areas that we had to fill in by going to the grocery store or farmer's market, etc. This year, so far, I'm going to knock on wood when I say that, we have not had to go out and buy a lot of vegetables. In fact, my first vegetable, other than onions, and, and I should say that we do have some sort of scallion stage onions out in the garden. If we were desperate, we could pull those and eat them. But I would prefer to let those round off. They're supposed to develop more of a, a bulbous type um and fruit. put on more flesh. And put on yeah. more flesh, and we can and gain a lot by simply buying some to tide us over. But uh, yesterday, I made my first purchase of um, cherry tomatoes for some pasta salad I plan to make tomorrow, simply because what little bit is left from our store of cherry tomatoes are all shriveled up and no good. There's not much left. So we've tidied ourselves over that way, and then now we're headed into our fall veg ripening, and, and we can talk more specifically about that in just a moment, as well as eating that which we stored from the summer garden. So, um, you know, let's let's talk about some specifics there. Some of it's canned. We had green beans last night. We canned, as we had mentioned in a previous podcast, we've canned uh, a Lots total of, of green beans. 11 gallons of green beans from the garden. And we've given away a lot of green we've beans. We've given away a lot. And we still have plenty left for us to eat, yeah. and we're enjoying That's them. right. We have um, frozen some uh, tomatoes that we can use in stew. And uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to is the okra and especially black-eyed peas that we froze because we're planning to make a New Year's stew with collards and black-eyed peas, which are supposed to bring you good luck. Um, and I don't mind using those frozen black-eyed peas for that purpose. Sure. The consistency and wouldn't be as great just, you know, served fresh, but I think in a stew they'll be fine. And uh, what we've learned is 
for us, the winter is a sort of a potpourri where you're using some canned, like the green beans, mm-hmm. um, some fresh from the fall yeah. veg. Broccoli, cauliflower. Collards. Collards, uh, kale, kale. Kohlrabi. We've, we've enjoyed all of that fresh from the garden. Cabbage. And intent and cabbage, yes. which we're planning to fix tonight. And then a lot of it is frozen. And I guess that bridges us over to a conversation about how sustainable is it to use frozen veg. And we've had long conversations about Mm -hmm. this, just the two of us, and also Mm -hmm. with friends and family who keep saying, well, gee, is that all that sustainable? Shouldn't you be canning everything instead of freezing it? And what we've learned is there are some things that just don't taste as good canned as they do frozen. Right. I mean, like, I froze some okra, mostly because we experimented with canning it, and it just turned into a goo-type thing. <laughs> you know, I just, so, and and when, and the little bit of experience we've had with thawing out that okra and putting it in stew was excellent. I mean, it tasted fine. So... And- and I'm going to go to bat for this. Yes, you can make an argument that when the grid has completely failed, that it will not be practical anymore to maintain a deep freeze. But that's going to be one of the last things we plan to let go of because we've learned how effective it is to store food in the freezer. Right. Not just fresh vegetables, but also stews and soups. Absolutely. That's one way that we put our food by is we'll make a stew out of the whatever. I remember when we had tons of cabbages all ripening at the same time or they needed to be harvested at the same time. For I think for one thing, we had a little critter out there going after them. That's right. We needed ready. to get it before the rabbit did. Yeah. And in other cases, it's necessary to harvest it because you're about to have a freeze or because it's getting too hot for that vegetable to survive. So we'll put up eight or ten quarts of soup at one time, and the practical way to do that is to freeze it. Exactly. Yes, you could pressure can it, but that's a little dicey for us. We don't feel quite confident enough to pressure can a soup that has fat and protein in it. We like to put our our chicken and, and that sort of thing in there. And the other thing I'll mention is that we are about to embark on a a still a a different uh, method of food preservation, and that is food dehydration. True. Our son, Joe, and his wife, Michelle, and their son, Smith, together gave us for Christmas a food dehydrator along with a book on solar solar dehydration, you know, learning how to do this. So um, we plan to dehydrate things like okra and peppers and just to see how we can make that work. Um, and, and lots of things. Well, actually, I had some dehydrated figs that one of our friends um, You told me they were quite snack. good. They were quite good. So a lot of, and apples, you know, if you're going to make any kind of apple tarts, I'm thinking ahead to when we actually have apples growing out in the orchard. But when we do, dehydrating them will be an excellent way to preserve them. And what we've been told, and I, I'll stand by to find out whether this is true, but what we understand is that here in central Alabama, where the climate is so humid, it's not practical to get every last bit of the moisture out of a piece of food with a solar dehydrator, that you probably will end up having to finish it with some kind of powered dehydrator. Mm-hmm. We're real anxious to find out what our experience is going to be there. We don't know right now. 
Uh, but there's a chance we're going to have to use an electric or propane uh, food dehydrator just for the finishing touches. But that will take a lot less energy than, you know, the, the fact that we can use the sun for part of uh, and the dehydration. We think this, we can use the sun for almost all right. of the dehydrating mm -hmm. and leave the very last stage to be uh, power assist. But we'll, uh, we'll stand by because there's a... There's still a possibility that we will be able to develop a solar food dehydrator that is efficient enough so that on a sunny day you really can get it to yes. the point where you can just put it in a jar. And we will learn how to do that. So we actually, uh, the, the gentleman who developed this particular food dehydrator, it's called the Pantree, capital P-A-N, and then lowercase T-R-I-E, um, lives in Wyoming and actually mailed us himself mailed a copy of the um, instructions of how to use the pantry food dehydrator. And again, I'm thinking, as you said, that's that's for maybe a more dry climate. And I suspect there are some foods that dehydrate more easily than others. So we and, may find that like peppers with a thin skin will dehydrate pretty easily. And your mother remembers that your... Um, my great-grandmother. Great-grandmother would put food out on a piece of roofing tin. Exactly. She, they had the old-fashioned corrugated roof, uh, tin roofs, and they'd take some of that sheet metal and put out their apples for dehydrating for apple tarts, and um, it did fine. So that's why I'm thinking, hey, if the sun can work, this this guy's, uh, the Wyoming man's uh, food pantry may work for us. So they work. So we'll keep you posted. That's right. Um but we made an interesting uh, discovery while we were away from the farm. We were away for a full week, and during that week, the only thing that was using electricity was the um, freezer and the uh, and the refrigerator, and a couple of wall warts. Yeah, I left, left my on. computer plugged in, which I probably shouldn't have, but it the, did use some the, power. The other devices, oh, and the chimes. We had the chimes running, but you know those together don't use much power. It was mainly the deep freeze and the refrigerator, and we got down to an average of about 50 cents a day. Which is not of bad. power usage. So that tells us if you want to strip out everything else and look at just the cost of operating the refrigerator and the freezer, for us at least, it's about 50 cents a day. Yeah. So that was good news. And uh, again, one reason that we're optimistic that we can continue to use our freezer to preserve food. But, you know, with the subject of this uh, podcast being our approaching self-sufficiency in terms of what we're growing, we have a few other options as well uh, for vegetable prolongation. Uh, Perhaps when we build our greenhouse, we'll have we'll extend our season a bit. That's true. We hope that if and when we build the greenhouse, we will be able to grow some heat-loving veg straight through the winter. Yeah, yeah, which that, would be really be nice. That'll be an adventure, and there will mm -hmm. be all kinds of ways it could go wrong, but we want to give it a try. And also, I may be able to jumpstart a, a, a larger number of seedlings for uh, summer production and get better production that way. Mm -hmm. um, even even some types of plants that I typically just put the seed in the ground and go on. Uh, for example, I thought about squash. If I had could get a squash plant a little bit stronger and hardier before I put it in the ground, it might have better resistance to squash, squash bugs. Squash bugs and, and borers. Yeah. So there are all kinds of ways that we can see extending our season as a way to um, um, give us more vegetable. Production and and one other uh, vegetable we have not mentioned yet for uh, 
um, our overwintering and into spring are our Brussels sprouts. We have Brussels sprouts plants that are doing very well. They just have not started to have any little sprouts on them yet. Actually, um, oh, did you I say was so? out there this morning and I took a photo of one of the plants where we're beginning to see the sprouts. <gasps> Yay! So I will put that on the show notes page for this week. And um, it, you, I, there was a piece of pine straw stuck in the plant and I just left the pine straw there because it gives a good... Um, sense of perspective about their size. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure they're so. very small at this point. But we're, we're hoping by January then maybe we'll have a few. Yeah. Oh, and I think uh, easily by the middle of January we'll have harvestable sprouts. We've got a couple you could harvest right now if you okay. wanted to. Yeah. But there's no reason to rush. Right. Can, uh, the other thing we've been doing is eating down from the wedding. That's not you, yeah. you don't have that's not a conversation about sustainability, but it is a conversation about prudent. Well, sure. And and we talked about that on a previous podcast, how you made the wedding stew. It was really good. Right. And so we've had some more of that and we're you know, we had barbecue left over and we were thawing that out. So um and, and really all kinds of occasions in which we have a little too much food, we we've learned we're learning how to freeze that or preserve it in some way and so we that's can one thing we've learned to do and that is to react decisively when we have extra food rather than oh let's stick this in a corningware dish in the refrigerator and leave it there for three days and then decide we're not going to eat mm-hmm. it we're saying okay that looks like that's extra let's freeze it now yeah and then when we thaw it out it's still tasty exactly if you wait and of course what used to happen when we lived in birmingham i know a lot of times with my busy work schedule is something would sit or go to live in the back of the refrigerator, and then we discover it months later when a green mold was growing on top, and then it just was trash. So you know, we don't have that happening nearly no. so often to us these days because we do tend to be a little more methodical yeah, about, about cleaning about it using out. food. And to the point that I'm getting to be a bit phobic about having a stuffed refrigerator. I know that's crazy, but um, I, we've talked about how enjoyable it is to see some daylight in there or a little air <laughs> in the refrigerator. You bet. Um, there was a time at which I was content to just stuff it all in there and let the chips fall where they may. And now, maybe because we are more conscious about food preservation, uh, we are, you know, we're taking that on. Uh, one thing we should talk about that I'm fond of and I'd like to plant more of next year is cauliflower. You know, that cauliflower is so tasty, so delicate. It's sweet tasting. I know. It's, it's better than most. It's like a garnish almost. It's so tasty. Yeah. So I will plant more of that next year, and um, I'm waiting to see what happens to the, the plants from which I've harvested cauliflower fruit. Uh, they're still, the plants are still out there and looking healthy. So I don't know yet whether other little cauliflower will sprout. Uh, this is our first year with cauliflower, and I agree with you. We're going to grow more next year for sure, mm-hmm. but we're still in the process of discovering what the seasonal rhythm of cauliflower is. Yeah. Have we gotten the last of the cauliflower fruit once we pick the pick it the first time, or will it come back in in smaller heads? Yeah, we just don't don't really know. Um, the uh, the garlic I planted in November is doing very well. There's one, two different varieties out there, a silver skin and an Italian. And the silver skin took a little longer to emerge, but I can safely say now that all of the garlic has emerged. It looks great, and we'll be looking forward to having that in June. We're playing the waiting game on that one. Okay. 
Uh, let's talk about meat because meat is a glaring hole right. in our self-sufficiency That's right. we so don't far. Have, we don't produce our own meat. And yeah, obviously we could be vegetarians and just not eat meat, but for whatever reason, you and I have not yet chosen to do that. We still like some chicken and you know, I even eat some pork and beef from time to time. And we have tended to continue purchasing that from off the farm. Right. And and uh, we've talked long-term about the possibility, number one, of stocking the pond with some fish and being able to harvest the fish that way, you know, have, have meat from that source. And, of course, deer hunting for you, mm-hmm. having venison. So um, if we really want to be sustainable as far as our uh, protein, we are talking um, those two sources of meat that I just mentioned, laying hens for eggs, and then the question of milk and dairy, hmm, that's a whole other question mark. We've looked at the possibility of goats with their escape artist tendencies. I don't know how I feel about that. But then also talking to various people about miniature cattle breeds and possible um, get, possibly getting a dairy cow. But so far, we are merely tiptoeing in that We direction. are very much tiptoeing. We'll, we'll you know... M- work out a system of either going to the store or if stores fail, bartering and trading with people who have dairy sources if, if we can't make a decision or a commitment to get a cow. And I'm going to finish by picking on you a little bit about those tomatoes. I think when it, what made the, what got us to the point where we needed to go out and buy tomatoes is you said, I want to fix pasta salad, which is a recipe-driven behavior rather than a what's lovely and in-season-driven behavior. That's true. And to a certain extent, you could be pleased with me because normally I go out and I buy a head of broccoli and use that. Well, I don't have quite enough broccoli, so so I'm supplementing with cauliflower from the garden instead of that. And if if what we are producing is not quite enough, I have a lot of fresh parsley out there that I plan to include. So I think it's all going to work out. It will. Um, It'll be fine. And, and it's a very small little issue, but it is interesting to see that we were, we were reverting to that recipe-driven Yes. Rhythm. Well, it's because I told someone I would bring pasta salad. But anyway, that's, I look forward to tasting it, don't you? And, and you can't <laughs> get too far from, your, from the roots that you set for the last 30 years. We've lived a life during these decades that was recipe-driven. So I don't think it's unreasonable for us to revert to that from time to time. Same with your bread pudding. We were not going to say, oh, we're not going to fix bread pudding because we're not able to grow the ingredients for it on the farm. Everybody's looking to Grandmere for bread pudding. That's so right. you fix bread, bread pudding. And cranberry salad. That's my other staple for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And uh, I don't think we'll ever have the climate in which to grow cranberries. So I'll, I'll have to buy cranberries somewhere else. That's right. Part as of long it. as we're fixing cranberry salad, we'll be buying cranberries. Cranberries, from oranges, and pineapples. I can't grow any of those. So well, now you don't maybe know about oranges, oranges and pineapples. We might, may be able to do that. Might be able to do that. Enough. But that's a, that's a subject for another day. Um, I guess we'll start it leave by saying Happy New Year to all. And we hope that uh, you're having fun ringing in the new year and that you will find blessings in 2012. Adieu. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. 
We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.